this morning to Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to take a little detour away from our series of sermons in uh, the pastoral epistles. We finished the first chapter of uh, 1 Timothy. I'll be picking up with uh, that next Lord's Day in chapter 2. But uh, I thought that since uh, we were about what we are this morning that I would preach from Matthew chapter 16 on the church and ask the question, what is the church? And uh, use this text to answer that question. It's a familiar passage, Matthew 16, 13 through 20. Let us hear God's word. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah. But still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. I point you in particular this morning to verse 18, where Jesus said, I also say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And that is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, this time together. We pray your blessing upon this time around your word as we anticipate coming later around the table of the Lord. And we pray, O God, your blessing upon all of it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today is, uh, as I mentioned earlier, a big day for our church. One of the richest blessings, really, for any body of believers is to see our children making their profession of faith in Christ. After all, that is our ultimate goal for our children, isn't it? I was struck at the ladies' luncheon. I'm privileged to get to the lo- go to the ladies' luncheon in our Bible conference. and I thought Carl had a, just a very, very powerful and meaningful message to give to the ladies about parenting and about how asking the question, what is the most important thing we want for our children? And so many times our goal in raising our children is for them to be good kids. And yet that's only our only goal for our children. We have missed the mark, haven't we? Because we want our children to share our faith in Jesus so that we one day will share eternal life with them in heaven. Now salvation is a sovereign work of God. As I read earlier, we can't put a time frame on when the Holy Spirit will work in the hearts and lives of our children. Sometimes our children don't come to faith until they're adults. But we are responsible to do as parents and as a church is to sow the seed of the gospel among them. 
to pray for their salvation, to teach them the truths of Scripture, and to live out a consistent, godly life before them. The rest, quite honestly, is up to God. And God must move in their hearts, drawing them to Himself. But I want to take this opportunity this morning for all of us to think about the significance of the church. I'm afraid sometimes we just don't realize how significant the church is. Now, I hope you noticed this morning these children took some very serious vows. They made some very solemn promises before you and before the Lord. They promised to live out the gospel in their daily lives and to show the way that the gospel changes them by the way that they live. They promised that they would support the church in its life and its work to the best of their ability. They promised to assist in establishing the and continuing the, the peace and the purity of the church. Now I want to remind you that when you joined the church, you took the same vows. And you made those same promises. It helps sometimes for us to stop and reflect back on those promises that we made. And ask just how well we are doing in keeping those promises that we made. As a married person, it's helpful sometimes, isn't it, just to think back upon the vows you made to your spouse on your wedding day to see how you're doing in keeping those vows that you made to them. And so it is in our life in the church. Sometimes it just helps us, doesn't it, to hear these vows again and to realize, you know, I made that promise. I made that vow. I made that commitment before the Lord as well. And there's no better passage to, to talk about the church, to answer the question, what is the church, than what we read this morning from Matthew chapter 16. It is here that we find Jesus' understanding of the church. And so I want to spend just a few minutes, especially on verse 18, looking at what Jesus says about it. And we find first he talks about the ownership of the church. The church has an owner. And that owner is Jesus himself. Notice Jesus calls it in verse 18, my church. The church belongs to Jesus. And it belongs to him because he bought it. He purchased it with the price of his own blood. The church belongs to Jesus. There's a story that was told around town when I lived in Louisville. I'm realizing it's a story that's told around most towns. So it's an apocryphal story. But the story's told of a man who drove into town early one Sunday morning. And he stopped to ask for directions. And he saw a man on the street and he stopped and he said, Can you point me to the Church of Christ? The man thought for a minute and he said, Well... 
there's, there's the, the Methodist church down there, but that's, that's Mr. David McCool's church. And, and there's the Baptist church over there, but that's, that's Mr. Bill Taylor's church. And then there's the Presbyterian over there in the corner, but that's, that's Mr. Charles Fair's church. And he thought for a minute, he said, you know, I don't think Mr. Christ has a church in this town. But isn't that the way we think sometimes? We, we, we speak of a church as, you know, it's Bob's church. It's Carl's church. It's Harry's church. They're from Briarwood in Birmingham. It's not, is it? It's not my church. It's not your church. It's Jesus' church. The church belongs to Him. Jesus said, it is my church. And I want you to understand this morning that when you grasp that truth, it will transform your understanding of the church. It will transform your commitment to the church, your relationship to the church, and your involvement with the church. If you see the church only on the horizontal level, it's just another organization, essentially, to which you belong and in which you participate. It's going to be way down on your list of priorities. Now I want everybody to get your feet way up under your chairs for a minute. Howard, I'm about to do a little foot stomping. Howard's the one who says, I want you to stomp on my feet. Isn't it true that so many times, folks, we plan our church activities around everything else that's going on in our lives? And we say, well, I have to do this. I have to go there. I have to get involved in this activity. I have to go to that function. I can't go to church. Instead of saying, you know, I belong to Jesus' church. I made a vow. I made a promise. I can't go over there. I I can't do that. It's going to conflict. It's going to get in the way of me being involved in the church. So many times we have it reversed, don't we? We plan around the church involving ourselves in other things of less importance. I know that's preacher talk, folks. That's what you expect the preacher to say. I understand that. But Jesus says, it's my church. And if you belong to the church, you belong to his church that he bought with his own blood. So it has an owner. But second, I want you to see this morning that it has a builder. And the builder also, Jesus says, is himself. I want you to pay particular attention to what he says right in the middle of verse 18. I will build my church. Think about that for just a moment. 
Jesus says, I will build my church. That is such a great comfort. Let me tell you what a great comfort that is for pastors and for elders and for church leaders because there's so much pressure, folks, put on church leaders to grow the church. So many times the first question people ask about a church has to do with its numerical size. How big is your church? How much has your church grown? And there are all kinds of programs and plans to try to grow the church. A couple of decades ago, there was a whole movement called the Church Growth Movement trying to design plans and programs to grow the church. Now, plans and strategies and programs are all well and good, but they tend to take our eyes off of the one who said he's going to build the church, and that's Jesus. If there's one thing I've learned over the years, folks, it's that I can't grow the church. If the building of the church was left up to me and to my gifts and my abilities and my strengths and my talents, we'd be in deep weeds. But we can all take comfort in what Jesus says. I will build my church. You know the best program for growing the church? It's a prayer program. Praying to the one who says, I will build my church and praying that he will do that, that he will build it by drawing people to himself. Your elders are committed to a program of prayer for this church and asking God to grow it and to build it to make it what he wants it to be. The amazing thing is, isn't it? It's amazing to me. God uses people like me to help grow and to build his church. Now, there are some men who are able to build a church, aren't there? At least they're able to build a crowd around their own gifts, their own personality, their own persuasiveness. And yet, folks, we don't want a church built around a man. We want a church built around Christ. We don't want to be a part of a church that a man builds. We want to be a part of the church that Christ builds. A church that's centered on Him. And and just as more preacher talk here, the most important part of church growth, by the way, is not numerical growth. The most important part is spiritual growth. And the best, most lasting numerical growth comes from dynamic spiritual growth. I can assure you, folks, the more we grow, if you're growing in your faith, if you're in your love for Jesus, if you're growing in your commitment to the church, the church will grow. It's infectious. People want to be a part of something where God is at work. Look, if God's not working here, I don't want him to come anyway. We're a lie. If God is not working here, we are deceiving people if we bring them into the life and work of the church and say something is happening here when it's not. But if God is really working here, changing hearts, changing lives, 
bring us into a deeper love for him and a greater commitment to him, people will notice it. And when they come in these doors, they will experience it. And the church will grow. Then third, he talks about a foundation. The church has a foundation. He says in verse 18, I also say to you that you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And so the foundation of the church is a rock, and some way that foundation relates to Peter. We don't believe that uh, the foundation is Peter the man, but the foundation is the confession that Peter made earlier in our text, where Jesus asked him, who do, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. The Son of the living God. We read earlier from Ephesians chapter 2 where Paul talks about Christ being the chief cornerstone of the church. The church must be centered on Christ. And we sing to him, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is what? Sinking sand. It's true of your life, true of the church. If we build on anything other than Christ, it's sinking sand and it will not last. And so the foundation of the church must be on Christ. And so that's why it's so important that we always be a Christ-centered, Christ-focused, Christ-preaching church. And then fourth, he talks about a danger to the church. But along with that, he gives a wonderful promise. The danger is what he calls the gates of hell or the gates of Hades. It's clear, isn't it, that the greatest enemy of the church is the devil. You know, Paul says we don't war against physical things. Our battle is a spiritual battle. We war against unseen forces of darkness. I said earlier that sometimes we fail to understand the significance of the church. Let me assure you, the devil has never misunderstood the significance of the church. That's why the church is under constant attack. Because the devil knows that if he undermines the church, he is undermining the very thing for which Jesus gave his life. Jesus died for the church. And the devil is relentless, folks. He is relentless in coming at the church and trying to destroy it. Four main areas. He tries to destroy its leadership, he tries to destroy his families. He tries to destroy his teaching. He tries to destroy his unity. The devil knows that if he can undermine the leadership of the church, that he is halfway home. He knows that if he can destroy the families who are a part of the church, He's three-fourths of the way home. He knows that if he can divert the church away from the truth, 
and had the teaching other things less important than the Word of God, he's almost there. And if he can get people fussing at each other, he can destroy its unity. He's made it. The gates of hell are unleashed against the church. Folks, we need to expect a battle. That's why Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God that we can be ready to, to resist. If you're a part of the church, if you're a part of the body of Christ, you just got to anticipate the devil's going to come at you. The leaders in this church need to be especially on guard against the wiles of the devil. Our families are sacred places, but the devil works his way in to try to divide and separate us and cause discord and disharmony in our homes. The devil tries to divert our attention away from the truth. And if we're not careful, if we don't watch, he'll allow bitterness and resentment and jealousy and envy and strife to come in among us and separate us and divide us. But there's a promise here, isn't there? Jesus, what Jesus says is this. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. You hear me? The enemy is real. But folks, Christ has won the victory over the evil one. The battle is done. Jesus won the victory on the cross. And the church will prevail. Oh, there may be individual churches that have to close their doors. It happens. But the church, the church will prevail. It will be victorious. And when Jesus comes again, what's He going to do? The trumpet is going to sound and He's going to call His church home. What is going on in heaven right now? Those who are, have been a part of the church, who've given their hearts and lives to Christ, who've been called to faith, they're in heaven worshiping Christ. The church will be victorious. And so, new members, those of you who just joined today, old members, those who've been a part of the church for a long time, I want to encourage you this morning to encourage you with the fact that, you know, the church belongs to Jesus. It's His. He bought it. He owns it. It's His. It's built upon the foundation that He has laid. And even though the gates of hell may come assailing at us, we will be victorious. All because of what Christ has done for us. Let's be a Christ-centered, Christ-focused, Christ-preaching, Christ-loving, Christ-serving church. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. We pray for 
your word to take effect in our hearts and in our lives. To help us be what you've called us to be. To do what you've given us to do. We thank you for the charge of Christ. It is such a big part of our lives. And help us, we pray, not just to be parts of it, members of it, but to contribute to it and benefit from it. All for the glory and honor of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.